Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What's going on, everybody? And welcome to the Daily Transcendence Podcast. I'm G.O.D. And I'm Ray. And we're your hosts. Take a journey with us into the realms of some of humanity's most inner thoughts and theories about what lies before us and beyond the other side. Take a step back with us from the day-to-day heavy burdens of this constant evolving life. From awakening the collective, astrology, the spiritual divine, holistic health, shamanism, and quantum theory, to the frequencies and vibrations of our universe, history, religion, numerology, and so much more. We spend countless hours researching to bring you the breakdown of information from some of the greatest minds in these fields and even our own experiences. We're here to challenge your thoughts so that you can reshape your own minds and beliefs into ones that better serve you. We hope you enjoy the discussions about the supernatural and the ancient knowledge that we have become so fond of and we wish to share with you so that it may also help you on your quest in this human experience we're living. Let the transcendence begin. Godspeed and share on. Like and subscribe to The Daily Transcendence on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. To show support for the show, we ask you to join us on all social media platforms, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Patreon, and YouTube. There you can find more content, updates on new episodes, and more personal interactions from both Gio and I. We want to hear from you all and connect, so message us or email us at thedailytranscendence at gmail.com. As always, we entirely appreciate your support in allowing us to bring you this transmission. All right, welcome back to The Daily Transcendence. Amanda, thank you for joining me here again so soon. Um, I just want to give a brief recap quickly. Uh, so in our in our last discussion, you gave us an insight into your coming into of astrology, your awakening, <clears throat> and also, you know, how you've come into this sense of self-awareness and also your views and interpretation on astrology, especially with the comparison of what uh, the comparison and contrasting of what we talked about with tropical astrology versus uh, sidereal. Um, which that led us into having the discussion about the 13th sign of Fucus and learning more about its relevance in the chart too a bit. Um, uh, we got some of the background, the mythology and interpretation, and then we also noted its relation to the centaur asteroid of Chiron. So today we're going to be going a bit more in depth on Chiron and this holistic overview and relation of Chiron and of Fucus. And I'm pretty excited about that. So how are you, how are you doing today? I'm equally as excited as you are because I feel like this topic in astrology is very cutting edge. It's something beginning to be spoken about more openly in astrological communities. And Mm -hmm. what's the most exciting is uh, specifically with the discovery of Chiron. um, Well, obviously, astronomically, it was a phenomena in itself, but Mm -hmm. astrologically, when Astrologers began to put the pieces together with the story of Chiron, the centaur, as well as what the asteroid in a natal birth chart would represent. Um, This is where I believe the beginning of the integration of astrology and psychology 
really, really, really began to take a whole new level. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm really excited to go deep into the story of Chiron today because not only does it relate to our psychological wounds that aren't inherently ours, but we all must work through them and acknowledge them. And if we are lucky to acknowledge them and gain awareness of them, maybe heal them. But Chiron being discovered only in the last 50 years mirrors the fact that in the last 50 years, our entire collective has begun to evolve as well and really begin to reshape the way that we function in this world. And so before we really begin talking about Chiron the Centaur and Chiron's relation to Fucus the 13th sign, I actually want to start by discussing a little bit about what karma and dharma are. Because these mm, two, excellent. yes, because these two terms, especially in relation to astrology, and this is more of a personal thing in my practice too, um, but I believe understanding these terms and how they relate to using Chiron in your natal birth chart are really important. So first off, this goes back to yogic times. This goes back to yogic philosophy. Um, the concept of Dharma is not something very familiar to the Western mind. It's more of something that is felt and understood when you understand the cycle of life. What goes around comes around. What goes up must come down. And, you know, sometimes people will tell you, oh, karma's going to come back to get you. If you do good, good will come back your way and vice versa. That's more of the Western sort of lukewarm version of karma we've been fed. But truthfully, when we get at it from a more yogic, spiritual perspective, karma can be defined as the belief that a person's actions in life will determine their fate in the next life. And so it goes back to that concept of if a person practices kindness, compassion, and follows your moral carpus, compass, and dharma, which is what I'm getting to, mm -hmm. they will enter their next lifetime with blessings, skills, and gifts to celebrate with. And on the other hand, if a person chooses to veer away from their path and do harm, then obviously you may come to the next life with karmic debts to bring balance to. Now, here's the thing. Every single soul has done good and bad according to what the moral compass is. And let's also remember that back in yogic times, what was seen as different, odd, and controversial then is quite normal in the reality that we live in now. Yeah. But, right? Because ultimately- we what's it, What determines good and bad too, you know? Exactly. And so this goes mm -hmm. right to the question of morals. What are your beliefs? What is your truth? But also, what kind of lessons are you learning as we go through these cycles of learning our truth? And so it's it's very interesting. And this is where we get to Dharma. And I believe that Dharma, which is the word for your true purpose, it's basically your true purpose and the organic essence of what your soul aspires to be and achieve. This is, in my humble opinion, the key to really liberating yourself from harmful cycles that keep you stuck in your life. And so on a very mundane level, this can be, you know, something that helps you finally live a life and find a career and find a routine that's in alignment with you rather than living according to someone else's perception of happiness. That is dharma. For you, you could have a dream of starting a business. Maybe that's your dharma. Maybe you have a dream of writing a book. That's your dharma. Maybe you feel as though you have a purpose and that you're meant to 
be a part of something. Maybe that's your dharma. And that's something that I want to make really clear because a lot of people seem to glamorize the concept of karma and think that it's something so exciting. Ooh, I want to, you know, explore my karmic situations. Well, yeah, but truthfully, the correct term is to do your dharma, <laughs> as I like to say sometimes, mm. and to find what is truly aligned with your purpose, not what is keeping you stuck in the same karmic loops. So where Chiron comes into play is really interesting because Chiron is an asteroid that in astrology has been linked to the psychological wounds that aren't inherently yours, but you have been karmically inherited to work through in this lifetime. And so telling the story of Chiron will help to understand more of what this means. And so before I dive into that, do you have any questions or any feedback or any reflections? Hmm. Well, definitely. I, I find it interesting and, I, and about having this conversation about Chiron, because when astrology was being like, it, I was first introduced to astrology and going into it. One of the first things, weirdly enough, which you wouldn't think that Chiron would be something that you kind of look at first when you're first going into astrology, um, but that along with Saturn was one of the first things I really kind of looked at first when it came to my chart. You know, most people just like their sun, they're rising and everything and stuff. No, like I, it actually was Chiron. And I, I took I took to this attraction to it and still do to this day. I mean, maybe I've put it off a little bit at times. Um, but every time I revisit it back, it just, it's so enlightening to me because it goes, it, it allows me to come into this, this inner knowing of something that resides within me that isn't necessarily all glitz and glam, but also has this transformational type power yes. uh, that can be had within myself. And then also being able to see more so of like these, uh, maybe transgenerational traumas and transgenerational healing aspects, like these ancestral things that can come about. And that's one thing I find so fascinating uh, about, about Chiron. And like, other than that, I mean, I haven't really done, I guess a question I could say is like, have you done much work with some of the, uh, you know, the, the asteroids as well? And like the centaurs and stuff when it comes to in your practice, Specifically Chiron, yes. In fact, when I work long-term with my own clients, I will work very specifically with Saturn cycles as well as Chiron cycles and the cycles of the North and the South Node. We'll, we'll save the North and South Node astrology for another day, but they mm -hmm. do relate to your karmic and dharmic path as well. But I find that Chiron is a lot more meaningful and effective with respect to understanding the generational patterns and the breakdowns that you may experience mm -hmm. that are the most vulnerable, that have the potential to lead to some of the greatest breakthroughs and transformations and opportunities to heal. And mm -hmm. um, what is your what is your Chiron placement, Joe? Let's let's share. So, so my so so my Chiron placement, I have it in the eleventh house. If you're going by tropical, I have it in the eleventh house in Leo. Um, and, and this is why it was so, and it's, and I'm sure we'll get more into it yes. as we're, as we're going down in the, uh, into the interpretations, but I also have that opposed my Saturn and Aquarius. Aha. Yes. So it's very, very, very like it, it was very eye opening to me, like right from the bat when I, especially 
coming into the understanding of all this archetypal energy, the houses and those areas of life that it's in. And I also find it very fascinating with Chiron that um, being that it is a, an asteroid and, and most of the centaurs are found, uh, you know, in the, in the Kuiper belt objects, right? So that's between uh, Jupiter and Pluto, basically. Mm. So it has this, it has this sense of being partial, partially, uh, uh, you know, on the edges of the visible and the invisible. And it's like the crossing of the worlds of the spiritual realm and the physical realm. So it does take on a very ancestral type of, you know, our spirit guides, you know, kind of, you know, us in having that connection in between the subconscious and the spiritual realm, but part of the human experience as well. Totally. And I'm really glad that you brought up that point about where the remainder of the centaurs are actually located in the solar system, because it will open your eyes to just how isolated Chiron was and mm -hmm. why Chiron's dance for liberation and freedom is specific with Saturn and Uranus. Your mm -hmm. Chiron placement is in opposition to your Saturn placement. Me too. I have my Saturn in Aquarius in my eighth house and my Chiron in Leo, but in my second house. So you oh, and I, wow. yes. So you and I can relate to that opposition of feeling trapped within Saturn's hold. And it makes it that much harder, but more important for us to understand that Chiron wound. And in fact, it's those that were born. So you're a 92 baby. You're a 92? Yeah. Yes. Because I'm a 93 mm. baby. And I find that those born between early to mid 92 and early, like winter going on to spring 93, we all have this Chiron Saturn opposition. And it's heavy and it's intense. And it's something that not a lot of generations after us are dealing with. And so yeah. we have a very specific karmic soul lesson and telling the story of Chiron um, is going to be really interesting to look at in parallel to this mm -hmm. aspect. So, yeah. Not, not to mention the, the, the plutonic energy that, oh, yeah. that, that, that generation has as well on top of it. And there's a lot of play with that when it comes as well, when it comes to Chiron and even its relation to plutonic energy as well yes absolutely and it's interesting too because eventually when we shift into the more multi-dimensional true sidereal perspective of chiron and we look at it in comparison with the story of a fucus because the two intersect you will see just how much jupiter and pluto interfere with the progress and the work that chiron does and mm. so we're going to go into some greek mythology now this is the best yes so Chiron was born, but not out of love. Chiron, in fact, was born from Kronos, a.k.a. Saturn, who was a god. He was the god of agriculture, time, all that different stuff that connects us to more of the Earth plane, DNA. And he was very attracted to a nymph named Philaria. By the way, side note, I think I mentioned last time the connection between Hercules and the centaurs and Phil. Yes. So mm -hmm. Philaria is the mother of Chiron. Wonder where Phil got his name from in, in Hercules? Just, just picture that for a second. Mm -hmm. So this nymph named Philaria, she was being constantly chased by Kronos out of her will. And eventually she decided to transform herself into a mare. So that she could 
hide from Kronos. Well, unfortunately, Kronos was definitely out for the hunt and he transformed himself into a horse and mated with Philuria out of her own will. And as a result, Chiron was born half god, half horse, a demigod. So Philuria was mortified at what happened and she abandoned Chiron into the mountains because she never wanted to see what would happen again. And the thing is, Kronos was too busy looking for his other son, who he was concerned about actually overthrowing him. And so he was thinking that it was going to be another one of his sons, but he had nothing to worry about with Chiron. He thought, oh, this guy's in the mountains. It doesn't really matter too much. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? Apollo, the god of lights, enlightenments, ended up finding Chiron, rescuing him and adopting him, taking him under his wing and teaching everything he knew about medicine, healing, resurrection to Chiron. And what happened was Chiron became the best tutor in Greece. And he became the tutor for gods, heroes, including Hercules, including Sagittarius, including Aphucus, which we'll talk about Aphucus in a second. Mm-hmm. But, and this is also why um, Chiron is so connected with Sagittarius in tropical astrology, because technically um, this was one of his students as well. But Chiron specifically was a hero. And he was always, always, always given the rough end of the stick because all he did was train the heroes. He himself wasn't the hero. And one day while training Hercules, uh, Chiron um, and all the other centaurs in the mountain, they were all having a discussion. There was a big argument and had nothing to do with Chiron himself, but it was the other centaurs that got into this big argument. They were unruly. They were unruly. And basically what happened was Hercules with his bow and arrow shot one of his bows, but it didn't hit the other centaurs. It hit hit Chiron. And what happened was he had this big gashing wound on his leg and it wasn't getting any better. And no matter how much he could heal other people, he could not manage to heal this wound. And this wound kept getting worse and worse and worse over time. And so Chiron has suddenly dealt with two major wounds in his life that have absolutely nothing to do with him. One, the abandonment of his mother. And two, the physical pain Chiron was in because of this wound that had nothing to do with him. And so he went to Zeus. He went right to Zeus, a.k.a. Jupiter. Mm-hmm. And was like, hey, buddy. Uh, please, I know I'm immortal, but this is agonizing. Please, I don't want to live this life in total pain. You know, can you please, you know, grant me death so I can end this suffering? And Zeus thought about it. And after some negotiation, instead of granting Chiron death, he said, I will switch your fate with the fate of Prometheus, aka Uranus, the planet Mm -hmm. of transformation, innovation, freedom. Prometheus had the fate of being tied to a rock and pecked out the liver by a bird until he died. Mm. And Chiron was like, I'll take it. I'd rather anything other than this agonizing pain, please. And so Chiron passed away the way he wanted to and didn't have to have a life of pain. But the pain he had had nothing to do with him in the first place. And this story of Chiron 
is so important to understand in relation to astrology and how Chiron works in a natal birth chart. Because right there, you see Chiron's pains and wounds being exasperated by Saturn. Saturn is the planet of limitation. And Uranus, which is the planet of transformation and, leap and liberation, is truly what set Chiron free. And so it's all very interesting because when you look at where Chiron is placed in your natal birth chart, and you look at the sign and the house, and maybe even other planets that may sit close to it or are aspected to it, you can gain a little bit of insight on that inner child story of some of the wounds and experiences that you may have had as a kid or as a young adult that you had no idea were actually genuinely not your fault. It may have come from some ancestral roots that have nothing to do mm -hmm. with you, but you're carrying this. Another yeah. thing I'll note too is Saturn is connected to your DNA. Saturn is also connected to the root chakra, which is the base energy center at the base of our spine. It's connected to our primal existence, creation, and it begins to develop. It's the first thing that begins to develop energetically in a body when a baby is in a mother's womb. So the DNA, the, the root chakra, the connection to Saturn is already being implanted in a child's being from before they even come into this physical earth. So that is the essence of Chiron. Um, I'll share a personal story about my Chiron wound. So my wound is the wound of self-worth and being seen, heard, and recognized uh, for my values. And so I was always a really different kid. You know, I was definitely marching to the beat of my own drum from a young age, but always wanted to fit in and be seen, heard, and recognized at the same time. It, it was really hard because I had a rebellious, open-minded, open-hearted soul, but such structure and tradition and fear within my upbringing. And so anytime I did something different and anything different was more aligned with me authentically, I was bad. I was wrong. I need to be more polite. I need not to be bold. And so from a young age, I'm told all these different things. And again, Leonian energy is, you have the Leo Chiron wound too. Yeah. You want- yeah, we, share, we share this very similar aspect. And yeah. in the 11th house, it's more about your communities, um, mm -hmm. your friendships, those, those, those groups and your, your mm -hmm. belief systems as well. And so it's um, interesting how a lot of the experiences that I had no idea had nothing to do with me from such a young age. I used to carry that weight so much on my shoulders thinking it was me, 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 me. And it took a lot of awareness and learning about my Chiron placement as well as the awareness that helped me realize, okay, you know, I am who I am. Just because not everyone agrees with me doesn't mean my self-worth needs to be put on their shoulders and depended on for my own affirmation. So that was a big lesson for me. And you know what? I still work on it. I still struggle yeah. with my self-worth because guess what? I'm a human being living a human experience, but Chiron has helped a lot and having the awareness of Chiron um, and knowing the story of Chiron. So, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, absolutely. I, it's, it's, it's so, so wild because I mean, I'll, 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 I'll share too in a second, but um, I, I love that whole thing, even with the mythology of it. And you see the synchronicities there and you're using actual, you know, the story as well, which, 
there's there's definitely what I've come to learn because you know we all think oh mythology it's not real or whatever and stuff whatever the case may be it is telling some sort of actual story within yes. the imagination within consciousness and then also understanding the physical properties of um of these planets of the centaur of the asteroids and everything and stuff like even that representation of of changing places with Prometheus kind of gives that sense of being able to have the empathy to walk in 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 one's shoes and uh, it's like the show of ultimate compassion uh and, and therefore he was being being able able to die become immortalized uh in this in the constellations too yes um but having that also shows that you know because a lot of times we're told you know Chiron is the wounded healer you know it also i feel like can show you know the healer that can you know yes is wounded himself and may be the one doing the healing for others but doesn't necessarily know how to turn that inwards and do the healing for themselves um and 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 besides that also it can i think it also can show in someone's chart maybe the pain and affliction that they're causing onto somebody else um and that can also uncover the root of their own pain within their life their own trauma their own wounds of why they're doing that as well you know so it's very it's very versatile but this yes you know looking at chiron in this way and there's so much to learn from it and yes you know there's a lot of people in the astrological community that are like oh well you know chiron is so brand new that you know we don't have enough data on it well we are still gathering enough data now since 1977 when it was first discovered and i also th thought it was really interesting how Normally, the process of discovering planets and asteroids, you know, it goes through a long line of systems, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, numbered before it's even named. And when it was discovered, it was named almost immediately. Um, and I think what was the guy's name again? He was name was um, uh, Charles Cole. Yeah, his name was Charles. And he had a background in mythology. So when he saw the, you know, the elliptical orbit and, you know, the incline, you know, the way the inclined it inclined to the elliptic. Um, and the crossover of, you know, between Saturn and Uranus, he right away recognized the, the mythology of um, Kronos and, and Chiron and uh, even with Prometheus. So I just think that's that's so interesting how that was initiated in the mind to be able to see this. And now we're building off that as we're coming through through life of, of this understanding. Absolutely. And it's eye opening mm -hmm. when these mirrors and parallels are actually being used to help. And yeah, of course it's this shiny new concept, but that's why it makes it so, it makes it so interesting. It makes it so cutting edge mm -hmm. because of that. Another way I find Chiron really powerful um, is when used in sinistry, actually. Um, I have found that, especially in my own relationships in my life, um, looking at where Chiron is aspected in another person's chart directly in my life. I've done this with family, my own partner. Um, it's opened a lot of eyes to where certain actions or words or, um, you know, experiences or patterns cause a little bit of harm or maybe they uplift. Um, but as it turns out, this is something really interesting. I have both of my parents' charts. Uh, stored in my astro.com data hmm. and my parents were both born like 
less than 25 days apart from one another. And Chiron has a slow-ish orbit. Like it's it's got an erratic orbit, but my Mercury placement in Pisces in my ninth house is directly conjunct to both of their Chiron and Pisces placements in their chart. And I had a really hard time communicating with my parents about my values and my beliefs and you know, things that mattered to me. And it was like, I'm talking to walls and, you know, it's smoke and mirrors and I was never heard. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, I never knew that looking at a sinistry reading of like a parent's chart and a child's chart and looking at where Chiron is aspected. I never knew that I could illuminate so much of the depth of the character of um, what that relationship is like. And so I really do encourage anyone that is exploring astrology right now to look a little bit into your Chiron placement, even just um, use a search engine to learn more about it, even if it's just something that's crossing your mind. And it took me a few years to unpack Chiron. It wasn't until about a year ago that I really saw the value in exploring it. And another thing I want to go back to actually is its cycle. Because the Chiron cycle is really important to understand. And it's really interesting how the Chiron cycle lines up to some seriously major pivotal moments in our lives. Um, Mm. So Chiron's cycle around the sun, because of the fact that it's technically stuck between the orbit of Saturn and Uranus, it takes about 49 to 51 years to make a full return around the sun. So between 24 and 25 years of age, you go through something called a Chiron opposition, which is when Chiron is opposing your natal Chiron placement, which is an opportunity for like a grand awakening, a grand shift of perspective, uh, or a big experience that kind of wakes you up to what you need to change about your life or bring awareness to. And it's sort of like a subtle subconscious kick in the butt before your Saturn return begins at 28-ish years of age. Um, And when people begin to hit their late 40s, like 48 leading into 49, people typically call this the midlife crisis. No, it's Chiron return. (laughs) Um, It's Chiron Mm -hmm. return literally to a T. Um, And it's really funny because my mom... I I mentioned how her Chiron was in Pisces. Um, I believe her Chiron in Pisces placements, like it's somewhere in her like fifth house and she never had fun. Like she lived like such strict conservative, like never had a drink, like worked all the time, kind of like life for the longest time. And you want to know what she did at 49 years old? She got her motorcycle license and she took a motorcycle (laughs) convoy trip all around Canada and the States. I was like, that, that was my yeah. mom's Chiron return. She set herself free and let herself have fun and break free from what constraints she had. She got out of living in the practical Virgo, like nine to five, half a work, 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 work. And she said, you know what? I need to live a life that makes me happy. And I will find practicality within my spirit being set free. And you know what? She has never looked back and she has never been happier. Like, hmm. I'm so proud. She went on to become a real estate agent at 52. Because That's awesome. She, yeah. Like she decided she wanted to be free and she became an yeah. entrepreneur. And that, in my opinion, was a really high vibrational um, 
like a high vibrational turnout for someone's car on return and, and an opportunity mm-hmm. for a new chapter to begin in their healing. Yeah, and that's what I'm that's what I'm seeing with these Chiron, these Chiron returns to study into Chiron returns. It's like oftentimes it ends up being like uh, a, an awakening to turning that because that's the other thing too. Chiron can also represent this type of gift we may have, yes. you know, somewhere maybe necessarily in the healing arts, but doesn't but it's a gift that we have yes. and, and a capability that we have that we just don't know maybe necessarily it's being covered by some sort of trauma or pain or suppression of some sort. Um, But at this Chiron return, it allows for an awakening to turn that healing gift and capability into, you know, inward rather than for others. Um, Or it also can be, you know, this healing vocation finally comes to surface or retraining it in a different way, but still being similar. And then recycling experiences and the wisdom behind things that maybe we've had to, you know, that, 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 that were painful that we've had to overcome. And maybe we slightly overcame them enough or didn't at all. Like, I think that's, that's the amazing thing. And also I think that that understanding and looking deeper into it, just like we've said about the astrology, giving you this sense to look at yourself, honestly, have this self-awareness. I mean, that could also give you in times of doubt and not knowing to be able to look forward to certain milestones even in your life and to kind of help pre-prepare yourself for those those times in your life as well. I like that's how it was for even my Saturn return, which we're definitely gonna do a conversation on Saturn return. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> as we can see, oh so 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 far our Cairo same same traditional background, our Chiron placements along with our Saturn yep. placements and our Saturn return is similar. Yep. So, you yep. know, as we can see, there's a lot of sinistry here too. <laughs> a thousand percent. A thousand percent. And mm-hmm. it's it's cool because this is this is another really cool thing about astrology, guys. The generational connections, like, mm. I, and, and and this is the thing. Okay, so back in December, my partner and I were at a Christmas party, and we went to go visit our friend, and his friend happens to be the exact same age as me. Like, literally, our birthdays are one day apart, and so his friends that he had invited were mainly mm. ninety-three babies. Now, my partner is an 89 baby, and he's best friends with this guy's older brother, also an 89 baby. So there was a combination of 93 babies and 89 babies at this party. No no change in the year of birth either. And let me tell you, the 89 babies were all in one corner doing one thing. And they were all, like, sticking to themselves. They were watching, like, a game, like, not really saying much. And none of them dressed up with ugly Christmas sweaters. All the 93 babies, including myself, are over in the kitchen taking shots, all with like the most obnoxious, ugly Christmas sweaters and like, like celebrating the merriment and talking about like all kinds of crazy things happening. And the 89 babies are looking at us like, please, too cool. like, come on. And it was like the most hilarious, literally like too cool. And it was the most hilarious reflection because... I was thinking, I'm like, you guys have different Jupiter placements. Some of you have different Uranus placements. Mm-hmm. We're all Pluto Scorpio babies, but I'm like, just those two alone, like that's enough to make a difference. They're all Saturn yep. and Capricorn. We were all mm-hmm. Saturn and Aquarius, you know, like so different. Actually, some of them were Saturn and Sagittarius, even different. So it was just, it's just really cool when you actually put together people who have similar birthdays 
and see what kind of lifelong experiences run parallel to each other. Um, it's funny because I looked at my mom and my dad's synastry, for example, they're mm-hmm. born like 22 days apart from each other and their charts are like next level, yeah. like the connections that they had. Um, so. It's interesting because I've only been able to I've only been able to pull up my mom's chart, uh, which which it was, it was very eye opening. Both of my parents are Sagittarius son. And it's funny because my mom was born on Friday the 13th um, ah. in December. Yes. And my dad was born December 17th. Only they're a year apart. So there's a lot of that there. And my dad definitely is like the epitome of Kronos. He's the diff- the epitome of like <laughs> the most Capricornian nature that you could get in somebody and stuff, uh, but also just has all of that Sagittarius fire as well to him. Like, and my mom in the different sense, I guess you could say it more of like a dreamer, but there's a lot. I forget exactly her chart because I only got to look at it once. I forced her to go. I was like, can you go find your because she didn't know her time. I was like, go find it somehow. Go look at a birth certificate. She's like, I don't know where it is. I was like, go look for it. <laughs> and then I got to pull it up that one time. Um, but she thinks there's there's definitely Virgo and Pisces energy. That's why me and my mom connect so much on more of a heartfelt level. Yes, exactly. And there's a lot more of that imagination as well. Um, so yeah, I'll let you I'll let you continue. But I just I think it's so funny. And like, and I, I see how that even that Sagittarian Capricornian energy plays such a, a significant role in my life. And even with looking at my chart, especially with the whole my whole Chiron placement opposed my Saturn in, mm-hmm. uh, in Aquarius fifth and 11th house, you know, I've always had such a broad imagination and creativity and had an underlying talent, but it was always sort of suppressed. Like you were saying, even with yourself too, like there was this I wanted to be a little bit, I mean, I was a lot, I was very shy, but I always had this wanting or this craving to go to the beat of my own drum and be able to express these things. And it was only certain points in time as, as a kid too, that I was able to show these hidden talents, you know, whether it was drawing something or, you know, me and, you know, my sister and my cousins, what we used to do at family gatherings is because my my oldest uh, uh, female cousin, she used to always record and was very theatrical as well. So she would record and we would do like little skits. We'd play restaurant and like it, it was so elaborate. We did we did the whole like Amanda show, basically. That's that, funny. You're that's Amanda. literally <laughs> what my cousins and I did, too. too. Right. Like we had our own show. It's everything. Yeah. As definitely like it's partially an Italian thing. I don't want to just seclude it to only that, but like it definitely is. And I remember that like it was my time to shine when they would make me dress up as Michael Jackson because I was able to do the moonwalk and th- we'd put on a show for and but I was very shy. But like there was this overcoming of the shyness because I knew that that was more of my will and my destiny to finally show that. But I always had that nagging or that griffin pecking at the liver of Prometheus, that voice that was just kind of like, this is stupid. You're dumb. You're, you know, what are you doing? You're making yourself look stupid. You're a fool. Whatever that may be, that inner voice. And that inner voice was something that's kept with me for my whole entire life um, from all the, you know, suppressing of creativity. And it shows up, but like having that need and that want to rebel from the status quo and thinking that there's something else out there and wanted to communicate and be with more people and be more universal in in my logic and everything and 
And that's something that more so in the recent years was something that I discovered by looking at Chiron, by looking at my Saturn placement, and by learning, okay, well, how can I do my Saturn? How can I kind of change this? And I'm still working on it. Like you said, like I'm still to this day figuring out how to be the wounded healer um, and turning that inward uh, while also still trying to do it outward. And it's no easy task and it takes going into the depths of the darkness. And that's it takes sometimes, you know, being able to separate from the the the, the visible realm and go into the invisible realm. Okay. Um, and, and, and it's funny because I think that since there's so much with even the mythology in which we're going to get into about even that the how this relates to a fucus um, and being that um, that it's like. There's the pointing. If you look at the constellations, that uh, the the two centaurs are actually pointing uh, their arrows towards the scorpion, and above the scorpion is a fucus. Um, but I love how that also puts in the scorpion, the scorpionic energy as well into there, and having the Pluto placement, you start seeing the connection within your chart. All of it is connected, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And even going back to the story of a fucus. The last episode, we talked a little bit about Afucus's resurrection. Um, sorry, not resurrection. Um, abandonment or abolishment, I guess, is the word that I'm trying to mm. use. Um, and I'm going to kind of like reenact sort of, <laughs> I feel like making these <laughs> mythological stories into like skits. I don't mean to, mm -hmm. you know. It's good for the human mind. Though. It's good for the human mind because these are very metaphysical, mm -hmm. multidimensional concepts we're talking about. Yeah. And so just, just a little recap. A fucus, just like Joe mentioned, is the 13th constellation sitting right smack in between Scorpio and Sagittarius. And technically, a fucus is the foot stepping on the tail of Scorpio and pushing Scorpio out of the ecliptic and bringing a fucus more into the ecliptic. So. Anyways, Aphucus, um, his Greek name is Asclepius. Am I pronouncing it correctly? Asclepius. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And Asclepius is now known as the god of medicine and resurrection. And basically, Chiron trained Asclepius. And Chiron is the reason why Asclepius has all of these healing abilities. Now, the reason why Asclepius was able to resurrect souls from the dead is because he discovered that if he took a snake from the right side of Medusa's head, he could actually bring people back to life with the blood. And so that's where the term snake bearer came from, the caduceus, the connection there with medicine. But basically, Hades, god of the underworld, Pluto, was like, hey, uh, Zeus. Bro, my brother, uh, there aren't enough souls in the underworld right now. Not enough souls to reincarnate. The cycle is becoming dried up. If we keep breaking this cycle, then we're not going to keep functioning the way that we do. You got to do something about it. And Zeus was like, all right, I'm the Lord of the sky. I'm going to take care of it. And so he banned Asclepius. He abolished him into the sky, made him into a constellation so that his energy was there forever, but that no longer would the cycle of life, the cycle of karma, be disrupted. And mm -hmm. that in itself is kind of one perspective of what happened 
collectively to the medicine and power and transformational abilities we all have within us. And Chiron being the very centaur that is connected to this constellation, Chiron being the very asteroid that is connecting with the 13th sign. And, and even looking at the story of Chiron, the story of Asclepius, and how both of them have been jaded from society, Chiron is trapped, Asclepius is barely acknowledged, and look at what happened to modern-day medicine. Yeah. Look at what they did with the caduceus. Look at what happened with Big Pharma. Look at what happened with all of our systems. As mentioned in the previous podcast as well, the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, is the worst enemy for Afucus energy. And collectively, the foot of Afucus coming back into our ecliptic is really representative of us beginning to reclaim the organic way of being on this earth plane. And by that, I mean when men and women, the masculine, the feminine, were able to work in harmony with one another rather than allowing one or the other to control or suppress the other. And so, at one point, the feminine was highly respected, highly regarded in history. And I'm sure we could go back to different examples in history all around the world where women were mainly worshipped. And yeah. interestingly enough, when the tables began to turn and the world began to become more patriarchal, this is where more war, more um, colonialism, more imbalance began to occur. And Conveniently, you know, the Gregorian calendar was created. Um, King Julian, who was the original creator of the lunar calendar, even though there are 13 moon phases in a calendar year, conveniently said that there are only 12 that we're going to recognize. And the 13th lunar calendar, we're going to say that these are blue moons and black moons, and we're going to say that they're just anomalies that happen. And we're not going to think much of it because everyone's going to listen to what the head of the society says. And so this is how everything began to become controlled because a fucus was literally deprived from our ability to break free of these constraints. And as a result, what has happened with the abolition or the abolishment, sorry, I'm not using the correct words today, of a fucus is now everything is promoted to be cyclic. Everyone wants to understand cycles. Of course, everyone wants to understand cycles. It's a part of understanding the big picture. But then there comes a point where you understand the cycles and you become really aware of them and you do everything you can to master them, but then what else? And then you realize collectively, everything else is also in the same cycle. History is in itself is a cycle. But how long has history been in the cycle for, right? History that we know or that we learn about, besides like maybe the prehistoric ages, we only really talk about things 2000 years ago. But so much has happened in the history of the world and humankind for millions of years. And we don't know what those cycles look like. We only began to really see patterns that are very specific since the last 2000 years where time began to become more structured. And remember, time is connected to Saturn. Saturn is Kronos, all these different yeah. things. And so when Chiron was first brought to the table, 
And when, you know, everything was finally put together where Chiron had the representation and mythology that it did, a lot of people went on to say, hey, what would you say is like a sign or a zodiac that rules Chiron? And for the longest time, everyone went right to saying Sagittarius. Because Sagittarius is a warrior. Sagittarius is this warrior-like energy. And the constellation Sagittarius also happens to be sitting really close to Centaurus. And it also happens to hold the galactic center. So everyone was like, yeah, these two, okay. And so in a natal birth chart, um, what I used to say before I actually began integrating true sidereal astrology is that the key to understanding how to liberate yourself from your Chiron wound can be found in what's happening in Sagittarius in your chart. So that made sense for me because my North Node happens to be in Sagittarius and that has been a really big anchoring point for me. But when I learned about the connection to Chiron and Ephucus, I realized that there was something missing here. And the truth is, especially upon discussing in the last podcast, that very much of the energy we know today about Sagittarius is because of Ephucus. And that transformational, visionary, philosophical, and shamanic energy that we know to be true about Sagittarius is what really comes from uh, Ephucus. And this is where all these gifts come from. All these hidden abilities that we usually don't think twice about. Um, They all come from this hidden sign. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's that. That's in part with the the this higher higher studies, higher wisdom, higher learning as well. I feel like, and you know, and, and then also understanding the power of transformation, and and I think that partially goes along with the the Scorpio energy as well. Um, it, it's crazy to because like even like you just said, it's like okay, well, who would be like what would be the ruler of of Chiron? And I'm like, as you're going into, I'm thinking, I'm like. I'm like, I see Scorpio, but I also see Taurus a little bit, but I see Virgo as well, you know, like kind of coming into there as well. But yeah, now when you say it this way too, Sagittarius of seeing that kind of, it's like the, 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 the understudy of Ophiuchus that, that came in like, um, and absolutely. That's why I constantly stress, like, even when speaking to my mom, you know, who's very Christian, like, and I'm like, don't you think it's important that we, you know, I, I feel like a lot of the religions only look up to so much. They look into the Greeks and they don't look into like, not to mention that's really, you know, if you're going into the Greeks, you got to go into the Egyptians and the Phoenicians as well. And if you're going into that, you have to go into Mesopotamia. It's, you know, it's in the old Testament. You have to look at Absolutely. the Sumerians, the Babylonians, the Akkadians and stuff where that's that 5,000 years and beyond that, that, yes. that really we get modern civilization as well so we can start to understand some of these things stop demonizing some things as well because we've seen how even the symbology of of the serpent how that's been uh, demonized but yeah very much so where it really as we're seeing through many cultures is representing the wisdom the 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 uh, enlightenment i guess you could say the knowledge uh, of uh, the tree of life as well um, the, the spine, you know, the serpent going up the spine, coming into, you know, this Kundalini type energy as well. Um, you know, we can, you know, there could be debates on that as well, a little bit as, but what but we're seeing that mostly to be true. And in a way, the, the overcast of a fucus 
and the trampling of the serpent in a way is kind of like the trampling of the of the truth of the knowledge absolutely and actually i do want to go back to what you mentioned briefly about kundalini i was actually having a conversation yesterday about this but even the story of shiva and shakti masculine and feminine energy what is in kundalini philosophy what they say is that the snake of wisdom lies dormant in your chakra system which your chakra system is directly aligned with your spinal cord specifically your vagus nerve mm -hmm. and so when you begin to activate kundalini energy and the serpent begins to rise it starts by activating shakti which is your divine feminine energy mm -hmm. which is more so your primal connection how you create and how you sense and as it continues to rise and activate the chakras along the, the currents of consciousness, and as the serpent of awareness and truth comes around your upper chakras, which have a lot to do with your non-physical reality, your beliefs, how you perceive, that's when Shiva, the divine masculine, is activated and harmonized. Now, a fucus, let's, let's break down what a fucus um, elementally is. A fucus happens to be both masculine and feminine energy. Mm -hmm. yep. It's water and fire. It's ether. It takes on no gender. It, therefore, it is not necessarily genderless. It is whole. Mm -hmm. It is an integration of all that is. And that is space in itself. That's what makes it the mystical mystery of life. And that's why when people experience these awakenings, whether it's a kundalini awakening or whether it's maintaining or attaining some kind of wisdom from an experience that activated something to happen, that's that energy right there of understanding the truth of all that is the oneness of this world and how everything is truly connected. So it's it's like taking the red pill, in my humble mm -hmm. opinion. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It, def it definitely is. I mean, it's it's so it's so fascinating to see the things that you can really gain uh, from understanding and stuff. And sometimes another thing I feel like we try so hard to look into a lot of this information and try to see the bigger picture of the world around us, the outside world as well and stuff. And, and I think you can get to that, but we're trying to skip the stuff step by not looking at ourselves first, like. You know, that whole thing, when we understand the feminine energy and versus the masculine energy and how both are needed, but there can be an, an overdoing of some. We've seen that throughout the type of, you know, patriarchal overshadowing. Like you even said, like a lot that I've learned about the suppression of of this. Um, there, there was a lot of a holier interpretation when it came to the feminine archetype as well and we know that the feminine the divine feminine energy would be the receiver it's the receptive part of our part of nature you know that is mother earth it's the it's the uh, the birthing process so when this receptive energy comes in and it's cultivated um you know that's what kind of creates the reality so we can understand the creations of our own reality through this because it's the it's the mother it's the matrix it's the matrix you know, it's the womb of life. Um, and I think that's important to understand rather than trying to dive so much into one or the other. And this is part of the harmonization process that needs to come into it. And we have to understand, sure, the external 
truths and seeing the deception with so many things is okay. Mm -hmm. But it, but we, we have to come into that knowing. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I completely hear you and agree wholeheartedly because everyone has the potential to tap into this, mm -hmm. but it really is at the end of the day, up to you to continue to awaken that. And I find a fucus just an overall really interesting energy because a lot of people don't even know that they have this within them. And what I mean by that is even Western tropical astrologers themselves deny the existence of this very archetypal energy, yet they all talk about wanting to awaken to their power and understand their truth. Mm -hmm. And so it's really, and the reason why I love using a, a fucus and Zodiac 13 um, in contrast to tropical is because you really do get to see different parallels of your own growth and, ex and existence. Um, and so I'm excited to see where the future of a fucus finally being recognized mm -hmm. uh, goes. Um, when I discovered a fucus in my natal birth chart, um, earlier on, I said that the key to Chiron is looking at where Sagittarius is. And my North node in my tropical chart is in Sagittarius. Mm -hmm. Well, as it turns out in my actual true sidereal chart with the Zodiac 13, it happens to be in a fucus. And so me discovering this sign and me discovering this aspect of astrology was one of the most uncomfortable things for me. And it's funny because I discovered the sign of a fucus during last year's um, eclipse season. And last year, the South Node was actually in a fucus at the beginning of the year, and the North Node was in uh, Taurus. And this is in sidereal, mm -hmm. sidereal uh, transits. And so I discovered this sign during a South Node transit over my North Node, mm -hmm. um, which means it was like destined for me to remember this from a previous lifetime yeah. and start talking about it again. And here we are. So, yeah. um, and ironically enough, it's led me to a lot of healing of my self-worth, mm -hmm. um, Chiron wound, um, and using my voice to share that information, which is a very Leonian thing. So absolutely. It's definitely that, cool. it, it, that you could see then where you're actually applying. Cause you know, we all have those questions at one point where we think we know what we're doing and then it's like, am I on the right road and stuff, you know? And, and that was, I, I could accredit a lot of the awareness that I got through Chiron for the reason of this podcast even starting, uh, because this was more so out of my nature, putting myself out there, uh, you know, uh, kind of putting on a show too, as well in some sort of way. And, you know, having something to say, like, and once again, the doubtful voice and stuff being there, this was my way of breaking through that as well. Um, and, and then just come to pass that there's so many other things that it led me into understanding about myself, my own healing journey, the things that maybe I might be good at as well, you know, because that's the other thing too, like, um, the, the, you know, Chiron, the centaur and a are concerned both with illness, sicknesses and healing. And, and the, the scorpion is also associated with the poison and the power of transformation. So, I've also got to see that I was like, hmm, you know what? There's a lot of things that I 
found favorable when it came to healing modalities as well, whether it's herbs or food or something like that. And it got me to start being more curious about those things as well. And seeing that one way or another, which is still something I'm fine tuning, that there is a healing aspect or, uh, or something that I want to do as far as some type of health practitioner in some sort of way that is more so maybe what Chiron is kind of showing me as being the gift as well. Um, but another thing I find interesting about Chiron and it's, and it's orb and, and, and the way it crosses Saturn's orbit, you know, if we think of Saturn uh, as like established structures, history, tradition, and the status quo, you know, maybe what even we take for granted, our psychological patterning and defenses, um, whether they're known to us or, or not known to us. Um, and when we're in the process of change, it's very hard for the ego, even if the change is what we've been working for or intending to do, it's very, you know, it's very hard for us to, uh, you know, separate from that ego. Um, so we, we, we are taken to the edge of our structures, of our traditions, and that can be very painful. And so there's a way which this endless looping around that Chiron does through Saturn's orbit that symbolizes something needed to be cultivated and dug up or, or, uh, or constantly pulled and stretched and folded over. You know, it's, this comes into matters of the heart that can come in where opposites can be reconciled. And we can think of this as Saturn and Uranus being opposites. So it's the status quo and that which turns the status quo upside down. And so Chiron connecting the visible and invisible, um, it ha- it, and has a process of spiritually maturing mm-hmm. rather than just being sick or wounded. And, and it helps us break those psychological structures and patterns when we learn how to work with that and however that may work for us. So partially by getting us to recognize those traditions and structures for what they actually are, uh, whether they're good and bad, and noting our emotional suffering and healing from those things. So I thought it was very, very interesting. Extremely interesting. Yeah. So, so with, with understanding that, you know, this, there's the connection of the opposites and stuff, like we can see how Chiron can symbolize, you know, something maybe within us that is more so maybe we're on the outside um, recognizing it as this sort of, you know, disruption in our life, some sort of painful thing that we've got to, you know, karmically hold on to or something where rather you can start to see that karma can also symbolize a gift that we may have that has been hidden behind a lot of suffering. And then, you know, you could see that in the chart, I feel like, and then something something that maybe we do extremely well for others and not being able to do it for ourselves. So this can become a crisis in somebody, but this can also be the, the initial awakening for somebody and seeing by looking at the chart, by looking at the Chiron placement as well, and even understanding this part with Ophiuchus of, you know, maybe where those areas of life that are being affected uh, where we can have painful blockages and where they stem from and the themes surrounding them by looking at even the sign of Chiron and stuff. Um, and, and I think it also gives us this show of 
not necessarily just a, a, a disconnection from maybe a, you know, a talent or us forward in our human experience life, but also it could also be showing the deepest sense of disconnection from source itself. So it's more of a spiritual thing, not necessarily a physical or mental thing all the time too. Yeah. And it takes time to even work up to understanding what that is. And for some people, they realize it right away. And some people, it takes layered experiences and activations and twists and turns and sometimes really subtle things that we don't really think much of at the time end up being massive synchronicities in our lives that help us to mm-hmm. gain awareness of these things. Um, and just like you mentioned that these things, looking at like looking at them and gaining understanding of them in a chart, you can absolutely see where it might be karmic and you can absolutely see where the potential lies to tap into the highest highest possible mm-hmm. vibration of that aspect. So I think you and I can probably agree that we have lived at one point in a lower vibration of our chiron mm. or, or of yeah. our true afucus placement or whatever it might be. I definitely, well, chiron in the second house for me, I had, I've struggled. Well, I have healed a lot from my financial woes and struggles and imbalances. Um, but there was some really hard times there with my self-worth related to my money story, but also how people mm-hmm. saw me and viewed me. And the low vibration that I found myself in for the longest time was I was in major debt. <laughs> I borrowed mm-hmm. a lot of money from a lot of people and I didn't do my taxes for a long time. And you, know, and you said your Chiron was in the second house, right? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Hmm. Like, I wow. was really shady with money. And guess what? My Saturn is in the eighth house. So, of course, like, what goes around comes around with money for me. I learned yeah. my lesson head on. I, mm-hmm. at one point, I was going hungry just to be transparent, you know, like, and that was actually, interestingly enough, at around 25 years old, right during my, my, my Chiron opposition right before entering the creaky parts of my Saturn return. And so that was a really tough one because I didn't really have much going on in my life at the time. And I literally thought, okay, this is it. You know, I'm not meant to be valued. I'm not meant to be rich. I'm not meant to have any money. I'm just going to keep, you know, relying on everyone else. And I was getting so tired of, you know, living at my mom's and, having to constantly move back in because I couldn't afford rent. And then next thing you know, uh, I believe this, the effects of Saturn return began to kick in at 25, 26 years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, everything began to change. And it wasn't just because the stars hadn't aligned for me, but I also recognized what was happening because I was starting to study my chart at that time. Yeah. And I was starting to be like, ah, okay, this is a pattern. This is a thing. Oh, I was inherited with this generational pattern of not having enough, not being enough, not being worthy of enough. Let's break this stuff. Let's, let's, I got to start working. Mm -hmm. And so now that I am literally like, I looked at my transits today, 21 and a half degrees. My, my Saturn is at 22 degrees, literally 21 and a half degrees where Saturn is right. I'm like right there. And it's opposing my mm. problem. 
it's really funny because now that it's like almost coming full circle, I'm in a very different position. I'm still healing from mm -hmm. the financial woes, but I am nowhere close to where I was then and where I am now. And yeah. as Saturn continues to make its return and my actions in that time frame between me going hungry and now, I had a mm -hmm. chance to do a lot of reframing and a lot yeah. of forgiving and a lot of apologizing and a lot of balancing and accountability. And so, yeah, it meant doing like five years of taxes all at once. And, you know, it was a lot of money to dish out and a lot of things to clear. It meant, you know, changing my lifestyle habits. I used to be a party girl. Oh yeah. Go out every weekend, <laughs> blow hundreds of dollars. Oh yeah. That was me. Especially because yeah, I, I was have there too at one point. <laughs> big time, you know, like, and so now that I'm in the process of this first major Saturn return, learning the lessons, understanding the synchronicities, I'm grateful to say that I believe I am, for the most part, acting according to the more high road of what my Chiron placement can bring. And I'm learning to take these, these wounds of you know self-worth, mm -hmm. um, my money story, what grounds me, and do something really positive with it. And so mm -hmm. it's, it's really funny because the first time I ever had my chart, um, my, my, my astrologer, his name is Jason. We're, we're really good friends now, but he read my chart a couple of years ago for the first time. And he told me that my secret superpower was business. And at the time I was like, really? He's like, you're a spiritual entrepreneur, shouldn't you know? And I'm like, not really. I don't really know what I'm doing. <laughs> at the time I had no clue what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm coming full circle, I go back to I that conversation. That yes. And now I'm mm -hmm. like, Jay, I think you were right. Because I'm like, yeah. on it, on it, on it, on it, on it. And he's like, you see, when you start to heal that little wound, you actually see the potential that lies. And I never saw it. I never saw it. Like, I, I was always interested in business. I was always interested in all that kind of stuff, but never like, me, do it. <sighs> yeah, right. Meanwhile, it was the block. It was the wound holding me back. It wasn't actually me and my own worthiness to go after it holding me back. So yeah, really cool when you actually bring awareness to the wound itself. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a beautiful. It's a beautiful process. I mean, maybe initially, like. It doesn't seem like it. It's a very dirty work. That's why anybody who right. tries to be like, oh, spiritual awakening is so like. <laughs> Get out of here. No, it's not. It's, it's a rough not, as shit. It's shit. Thank you. It's yeah. shit. It's 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 hard. And even where, you know, once you're past that one like this initial step, like that's when you start seeing the beauty behind it. But it's not so much because all of a sudden your life is glitz and glam. It's because your perspective yes. on life, your perspective on yourself and perspective of your experiences has now shifted Absolutely. and you're redefining what your process is, what you're going through how you got here, why you're here. And psychologically, psychologically, this is where the real magic is happening because mm -hmm. what's happening is you are unpacking old programming, old beliefs, mm -hmm. old mindsets that used to be on loop in your unconscious. Yeah. And, that's, and that's Plutonian energy right there, hanging out in the mm -hmm. unconscious mind. And it's clearing all that bunk out. That's, that's what happens when you actually begin to bring the awareness of it. And with mm -hmm. practice... 
That's why it's called a practice. It doesn't happen overnight. You don't just think it and it starts happening. You've got to practice. Yep. Then you see over time, the results begin to show. Now, mm-hmm. I have been practicing consistently for six years. I'm beginning to see some major results in my life as a result of the practice. But has that practice been easy? No. Have there been fallbacks? Absolutely. Has it been shit? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I wouldn't change a single thing about it, though. And I continue yeah. to welcome in all of the lessons that I need to learn. I'm very grateful that I think the worst of it is over. But at the same time, mm-hmm. like, now I have tools. And all of us have access to these tools. But most of us don't know that. And so if you're listening to this conversation, you, mm-hmm. you know that there are tools intuitively accessible to you to help you break that, break that cycle. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and to do your dharma you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, and it's accessible and healing is not linear either. You know, there's, so, there's definitely so many, so many ebbs and, and flow and, and throw back and forth and everything that, that happens. It's just, like you said, using the tools, knowing how to be better equipped for those different currents in life um, as well. And to be more, be more like water, you know, be, be, be able to you know, form to your container as well. Um, and also knowing how to be boundless in some sort of senses too. But there's a, you know, fine line between being boundless, being expansive like Jupiter or being more so structured and, you know, going inward and constricting more like Saturn. Exactly. You know, this is, this is why those are such major planets as well too. And, and there's so much, so much energy surrounding that, that we embody all of the cosmos in that sense. Absolutely. And Mm -hmm. it's what makes astrology in itself very multidimensional as well, because there's nothing truly linear about it. Like, if anything, I find, especially what I know now about astrology as a language, if anything, Mm -hmm. I find tropical astrology to be really linear, but it's really not because even that system of itself has layers upon layers upon layers. But then when you go to Vedic astrology, for example, it's a completely different, same language, but different, um, different dialects, you know, different mm, dialect, different, different accent, different flavor, different purpose as well. Yeah. And when you realize that you can apply this knowledge into more than just your, your mindset and your goal setting and your healing, and it can actually apply to your physical healing as well as um, your emotional healing. It's, it's really brilliant. Um, it's why we're here. It's why we're here bringing this ancestral wisdom back into relevance in this modern day world. Yes. Cause that's the thing. It's like, not, it's not always going to be, you know, we always want to look for something very practical. It's not always going to be this practical, tangible thing that you're going to be able to put your hands on and construct and work on or fix or anything and stuff. A lot of it comes from that awareness. It comes from being mindful of certain things. Like for me, a lot of my patterns, I mean, we've definitely got, you know, I think humanity has definitely got into being more aware of patterns, whether it's in the outer world or within themselves. Uh, I think we still need a little more work on the selves part, which will affect the outer world. but being able to come to this acceptance and this awareness of these patterns and separate from the self-victimization, separate from, you know, feeling like, you know, the outcast in certain situations, knowing how to not necessarily go with the same routine 
uh, that the world that you think the world expects of you as well so that you can embody and understand and fully embrace okay what's been going on this pattern that keeps happening and I keep cycling through where is it stemming from where's the root of it and a lot for me came from you know not displacing blame on you know you know something from parents or you know whatever type of situation that I may have experienced it came so more so of understanding how that was part of the you know th- that was part of the experience of how i ended up taking that and transformed the perception around it in order yeah. to and i took it in and what would be considered transmuted into a negative a negative way mm-hmm. you know what i mean i you know displaced my anger or or something like that where now i can sit there and look at those happenings whether it's through parental figures and those things and now not only look at myself and how I can change those things and how I was affected in some sort of way, but I also can look at the ancestral part of it, of where that kind of drops down from way back when to getting down to my parents and how that has been passed on to them. And therefore, in that sense, it releases a bit of anger maybe that you could have, if, you know, say if anybody has you know, a quarrel or, you know, disharmony with their parents or parental figures and stuff, you can learn to start having that forgiveness within yourself too. And to also then be able to forgive them because you can see that it's like, it's like that quote in the Bible, they know not what they do because they also have been passed down certain traumas, you know, and, and, and you, but it's such a beautiful sight because when I've come into this understanding, I was like, wow, I get to be the the one, the opportunity in my bloodline to break that cycle yeah. and start a new journey of generational healing. Yep. And I, t- I take that as a very big, significant, important role. It's huge. And it's selfless in a way, too. It's very, you know, it's for the self, but it's also very selfless. And it put on a whole new meaning of life for me. Absolutely. Big time. Well, Mm-hmm. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And, you know, I'm grateful that you have gained that awareness for mm-hmm. your own healing of your own ancestry. Just, mm-hmm. and I can say the same with mine because until, honestly, I feel like until I actually observed the natal chart and the sinistry between myself and my parents. I didn't completely understand the gravity and the context of where there were certain blocks in our ability to move forward. And when I, and I, and I mentioned earlier in this conversation that for both of my parents, my Mercury in Pisces is exactly conjunct their Chiron in Pisces. And we've Hmm. had blocks in being able to communicate the whole time up until last year. And Interestingly enough, through completely different experiences, my mom and I completely broke through our blocks and my father and I recently completely broke through ours. And without the awareness of how and what was happening behind the scenes unconsciously, I probably would have been able to figure it out, but not in the way that it went down. And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful because what it has brought me is a true gift. Um, and that gift is to finally understand. And just Mm -hmm. like you mentioned, 
they never understood. And it's because they never received this information or were never given the opportunity to, and that's okay. And just like you said, the fact that it is now in your hands and the awareness is there, you see the opportunity to pass this new generational pattern onto your children and your children's children. Mm -hmm. And as mentioned earlier, the root chakra is connected to your DNA, begins developing even before you're even born. And so clearing that generational block or blocks, whatever it is, acknowledging that iron wound really can set you free and can set your future generations up for, well, I don't even know. I don't even know yeah. what word to put um, with the possibilities, but I can say um, that it feels good knowing that this is a possibility. And yeah. it's brilliant to see that this is becoming more widely spoken about collectively. Um, and again, the world has been doing so much healing of their individuality, healing of their roots, healing of their story, and bringing it down to the individual. It really just means living according to your truth and allowing that to be the narrative rather than we have mm -hmm. to live according to the square peg and round hole that we're all apparently mm -hmm. fitting in when that's never been true. And absolutely. so it's exciting. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It gives the ability to take the static and be able to come into learning how to ground that and transmute that energy into something more beneficial, something more healing, something more creative and innovative as well, um, and, and to leave your mark and to fulfill that that void that may come into what is my purpose? You know, we may not necessarily know definitively what our purpose is, but there is ways to get onto that track. Uh, and that's something that I've definitely noticed. And, you know, it's, it's not a quick fix. It's not something that, you know, it can be frustrating. I still get frustrated to this day. That's like, oh, yeah. I feel it. It's there. I know what I'm doing. I know what I want to do and what I'm trying to do. What's more in line with my truth and everything. But sometimes it doesn't feel like it's, tangible like i said and that's where it comes into being able to be you know grounded and patient and understanding with the process and learning how that in that stillness comes the answer comes the wisdom as well um and it may get you by surprise too absolutely so absolutely mm -hmm. it's it's awesome and yeah, it's exciting absolutely and yeah, there's so much more I could say, mm -hmm. but I feel like yeah. I feel like this was a great way to illuminate just how much potential there is in mm -hmm. <laughs> learning about yourself through astrology, but specifically like these two pieces of the mm -hmm. puzzle. Oof. 100% agreed. Yeah, I, that's, I, this 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 conversation has opened up more than you know I expected it to be along these lines, but it definitely opens up a lot more to the importance of being able to use the tool of astrology and how it's been used and seeing in being able to see the invisible world, the divine, the spiritual realm, seeing it within ourselves, seeing the potentials and, and how to how to work with things. And, you know, that just the learning about Chiron has has been that. And especially like I love how we'll definitely as, as we go into more, we even said about doing a talk about Saturn return 
we've there's been a lot of Saturn talk already with this, so I'm sure we'll revisit Chiron through that conversation too. One thousand um, percent. Yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. Oh yeah. Happy we there's, had it. There, there are going to be layers to this conversation and sure. momentum that will continue to follow. So mm-hmm. it's all, it's all very much mm-hmm. intertwined, interconnected in this, in this universal matrix we live in. So very fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So definitely urge everybody to stick with us as this is going to open up also a potential for healing journeys and potential for getting us to recognize our true power within and being able to finally express it. So uh, definitely stick with us. Me and Amanda are going to keep doing these talks as well. Um, uh, I'm going to reiterate as well, too, to find Amanda. You go to her website, uh, the mindfulmagicmethod.com. She's also on Instagram as Mindful Magic Method, right? Yep, yep, yep. On Instagram. And then her TikTok as well, which I find there's a lot of great pieces in there, quick quick for our uh, short capacity brains that we have nowadays. Yes. Uh, for the quick learning. Learn. My handle mm-hmm. is a little bit different on TikTok though. It's Amanda Rose mm-hmm. Wellness with an with a zero instead of an O. Zero for the O. Zero mm-hmm. for the O. Yeah, I don't know. It's just a mm-hmm. thing. But find <laughs> me there if you want to learn more. Um, I definitely have a lot more to say. A lot being released with respect to content this year, including an ebook as well as two self-paced courses. Um, so I'm pretty excited to continue sharing the wisdom and seeing where else these conversations with Joe and the Daily Transcendence keep flowing because this is awesome. And so come back with any questions, people. Um, feel free to reach out. And um, yeah, if, by the way, people that are listening. Listeners, um, if you actually have questions, please reach out to either Joe or myself, and we'd love to answer them because that would yeah, be definitely. a really cool thing to incorporate. So, yeah, hit up hit up the comments as well. I always always send on the daily transcendence. This is our email. I mean, uh, you could always reach out to my email, yep. and always now that I'll also put in the description where to follow Amanda at as well. Uh, so yeah, look forward to please. more to come with us. More to come. Yes. All right. Well, thank you for having this talk again with me, Amanda. As always. We'll do it soon. Yeah, of course. All right. Take care, everybody. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 